Good morning. I did my switch. There it is. Now we're here. It's good to see all of you, and uh, what a difference a week, another week makes, because now I can look out at your faces, and I know a few names to go with the faces. That's an exciting thing. We're going to take some time this morning to uh, look at a portion of God's Word. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. In this Bible, it's on page 1650, John chapter 3, and we're going to read the first 17 verses. So if you can find that and or listen in your heart, uh, we will read that in just a moment. Please pray with me. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it, is com- where it comes from or where it is going. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every time that a new baby is born, we are thrilled at the news. 
We make phone calls, we send emails, we send social media posts in order to get that word out. And then the stories start getting told about all the details. Is it a boy or a girl? What about the length and the weight? How long did labor last? Who does the baby look like? Are there any health concerns? With all the medical information available to us, even we who are non-medical know a lot about genetics and conception and the birthing process and newborn care and nutrition and countless other bits of information about the birth of babies. Many of us even have our own experiences that we are often eager to share with anyone who might listen. Maybe you'd like to hear the stories of the birth of my own three children? (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe not. Not right now, anyway. But I'm sure that right at this second, you're thinking about the birth of at least one baby in your own circle of family or friends. It's the most natural thing in the world. After all, being born is how we all got our start in life. And all of us know quite a bit about how this birthing thing goes. Nicodemus knows a lot about religious doctrine. But he doesn't know a thing about being born a second time. He's a leading member of the Pharisees, a group of Jewish theologians. And this same group of Pharisees, along with some other Jews, has been trying to figure out just how and where Jesus gets his authority to do the miraculous signs that he performs, including changing water into wine. These religious leaders sense that the popularity of this Jesus could bring on trouble for them and their own leadership. So here comes Nicodemus, late at night, to try and get some answers. We can tell that these two men have at least some mutual respect for each other. Nicodemus greets Jesus with the name Rabbi. Usually this term was only used between fellow religious instructors. So this is quite a big compliment, coming from someone as well-trained as Nicodemus. Especially since Jesus had never had any formal advanced training. On top of that, Nicodemus admits that Jesus must be a teacher from God. And for his part, Jesus identifies Nicodemus in verse 10 as Israel's teacher. Not just one of quite a few teachers, but it gives us a sense that Nicodemus is a very high-ranking religious teacher. But back to his opening comment. Nicodemus wants Jesus to start talking about his authority. Nicodemus knows from his Jewish history that God was with those leaders in the past, like Moses and Joshua and Jeremiah, especially because of the great miraculous signs that occurred in their lifetimes. Does that mean that God is also with Jesus? These signs that Jesus has been doing must be evidence that he has come from God. With this 
compliment from Nicodemus, we would expect some sort of acknowledgement from Jesus about the source of his authority. But Jesus turns a corner in that conversation. Instead of talking about evidence, Jesus starts talking about an experience that seems to be impossible. A person must be born again. In order to see the evidence of God and his kingdom, a person must first be born again? Nicodemus cannot imagine how this would work. He might have been an older man, and he begins to apply Jesus' statement to himself. He just can't figure out how he's going to enter his mother's womb again in order to be born again. Impossible! And he says so to Jesus. How can a man be born when he's old? And once again, Jesus tries to explain some more about this second birth. He adds some ideas about water and spirit and wind being part of this second birth. On top of that, he tells Nicodemus not to be surprised by all of these ideas. All that Nicodemus can come up with is, how can this happen? If Nicodemus were speaking in today's sort of language, he might say something like, I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's all we hear from Nicodemus. Just 24 words in his opening statement, 18 words in his first set of questions, and a mere four words in his final question, and then he fades away into silence. It seems like he's totally blown away by Jesus' words. He doesn't understand this concept of needing to be born again in order to see God's kingdom. Another man who couldn't fathom this whole idea of a second birth was John Bunyan. He lived in England in the early 1600s. You might remember him as the the author of Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan was born and raised in extreme poverty, but his parents did make sure that he got a decent education. His behavior was atrocious, filled with cursing and swearing, lying, and blaspheming God's name. He continued his rebellious ways while he served a term in the British Army. Things began to change a little bit for Bunyan when he ended up marrying an equally poor woman. At the time they were married, they had no possessions between the two of them except for two books, The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven and The Practice of Piety. She persuaded him to read those books because she had been raised in a godly home and felt very strongly about their importance. So as the years went by, Bunyan gradually began to understand the importance of making a good impression. 
His behavior improved. He stopped his continually swearing. And he began going to church, all in an effort to make himself look good. He began to read the Bible. And he became involved in the life of the church. He was a strong promoter of proper and strict Sunday observance. He went through all the motions of being a sincere Christian. But he did not have any sense of God being at work in his life and had no idea what might have been meant by a second birth. As John Bunyan said in his own words, Now I was, as they said, become godly, and their words pleased me well, though as yet I was nothing but a poor hypocrite. It sounds sort of like Nicodemus and the rest of the Pharisees, doesn't it? Jesus called them hypocrites on quite a few occasions. Today, one of the most damaging and hurtful criticisms about people in the church is that we are hypocrites. If you're like me, I'm usually inclined to think that those critiques are made about other church people. Certainly not about me. After all, you and I can point to all sorts of wonderful things about our connections to this religious institution that we call Creston Church. Perhaps you can identify yourself in this long list of so-called godly involvements. Regular attendance at worship. Member of a church committee. Help in the nursery. Teach a class lead in worship, serve on council, provide meals, health care, child care, transportation, send notes, and excuse me, send notes and cards, make visits to those who are shut in, plan fellowship events. Have you found yourself yet? Maybe there are some more ways that you can think of that you connect to this local place called Creston Church. All of this stuff certainly makes us look good, doesn't it? After all, most of us are pretty nice people. Some of us have great leadership skills. Others of us have compassionate hearts. And some of us are very hard workers. Many of our closest friends are right here in this sanctuary. But if this is all that we think that there is, to being part of a church, then it soon ends up being quite empty. Something is missing. If we're honest in our thinking, even after a while, we'll start asking questions, even if they're silent questions. We wonder if we've got Christianity all figured out or not. We observe the lives of devout and holy people, some of them here, Some of them we read about. And then we figure that there's no way in this world that we could ever have what they have, whatever that might even be. We're a lot like John Bunyan and like Nicodemus. We search for more meaning. We have questions. We wonder, even while trying to cover it all up with good, righteous behavior. Jesus explains all about this second birth to Nicodemus. 
even though it's difficult for him to understand from his standpoint in life. Whenever Jesus uses that phrase, I tell you the truth, he's getting ready to say something that's very significant. Plus, he uses it three times in our text. The Greek word here is amen, amen, just like our amen, amen. Sometimes it's translated verily, verily, truly, truly, or in truth, in very truth. Jesus wants Nicodemus to pay attention. This is important for him to understand. When Jesus speaks for that second time, Nicodemus finds out that this second birth doesn't have anything to do with physical birth. It involves water and spirit. These two things go together in Jesus' words. He tells Nicodemus that this new birth comes about through the cleansing and renewing work of the Spirit of God. This pairing of spirit and water is not a new concept for Nicodemus at all. The Old Testament is full of references to water and cleansing combined with a new spirit. Listen to these words from Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. These words are reminders that cleansing and transformation of the heart go hand in hand. But Nicodemus doesn't catch on to this. It's possible to think that maybe John is talking about baptism in these verses, but baptism is only a symbol of the cleansing of new birth. The waters of baptism have no power all by themselves. It's only the Spirit of God that has power to bring new birth. In verse 8, Jesus ultimately describes this new birth as something that comes from the Spirit. It's all about what God is doing, what he is starting to do in the lives of those he chooses. A person who is born of the Spirit is controlled by the Spirit. I think it's helpful also to note that the Greek word pneuma is the same word for spirit and wind. That's why Jesus makes the comparison between them. It's impossible to see where either one of them is going. Nicodemus is getting a real education about the way God's renewing of his people works. But it's still hard for Nicodemus to understand. So Jesus gives him an example from the Old Testament about how this God-directed renewal took place with Moses and the Israelites in the desert. As a way of rescue from poisonous snake bites, God told Moses to erect that bronze snake on a pole and told the people to look at it in order to be healed. Now, in the time of Nicodemus, Jesus, the Son of Man, needs to be lifted up in order to begin that process of second birth. Not only would Jesus be lifted up on the cross, but he also would be lifted up or exalted because of the power of his resurrection and the future exaltation of his second coming. 
Nicodemus doesn't have any more to say after this explanation by Jesus. But these very last two verses, 16 and 17, of our text do help Nicodemus and anyone else who might have come along with him that night to know what drives God to make this second birth happen. It's love. Love for the entire creation. God gives the ability to the ones that he chooses, and that's a whole other sermon about election. God is the one who gives the ability to believe in Jesus and that he is the one who is able to provide the necessary punishment for sin. The result of that payment? Eternal life. And what is eternal life? It's the continuation of life after the second birth. Back to John Bunyan. He was looked up to by many in his religious activities, but like Nicodemus, he had no understanding of what was involved in this new second birth. And one day in, those, in the 1600s when he lived, he overheard a conversation of some poor, pious women that humbled and alarmed him. Here's what he wrote about that day. He wrote, I heard, but I understood not, for they were far above, out of my reach. Their talk was about a new birth, the work of God on their hearts, and also how they were convinced of their miserable state by nature how God had visited their souls with his love in the Lord Jesus, and with what words and promises they had been refreshed, comforted, and supported against the temptations of the devil. Moreover, they reasoned of the suggestions and temptations of Satan in particular, and told to each other by which they had been afflicted, and how they were borne up under his assaults, And they also discoursed of their own wretchedness of heart, of their unbelief, and did condemn and slight and abhor their own unrighteousness as filthy and insufficient to do them any good. And methought they spake as if joy did make them speak. They spoke with such pleasantness of scripture language and with such appearance of grace in all they said that they were to me as if they had found a new world, as if they were people that dwelt alone and were not to be reckoned among their neighbors. Bunyan continues, At this I felt my own heart start to shake, as mistrusting my condition to be nothing. For I saw that in all my thoughts about religion, And salvation, the new birth, did never enter into my mind. Neither knew I the comfort of the word and promise, nor the deceitfulness and treachery of my own heart. 
the Holy Spirit was beginning to blow in John Bunyan's life. That blowing caused him to study the scriptures by thinking carefully, by praying earnestly, and comparing one passage with another. And the fruit of his work is in his writings, especially Pilgrim's Progress, that great allegory that is a picture of his own spiritual journey. Bunyan experienced the cleansing and renewal of that new birth. His life was totally transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. So what do you think about the spiritual journey of John Bunyan? He became so totally devoted to his Savior. He began his journey as a hypocrite. His journey was a long one. His journey was a difficult one. He began with absolutely no understanding of new life in Christ. But when the Spirit of God moved in his life, Bunyan stayed in that path of that wind and continued to be guided by it. What do you think of your own spiritual journey? It begins with God at work, cleansing our sin and renewing our hearts. Our new birth is a beginning of a new life that has been given to us at a huge price, the death of the Father's Son, Jesus. It's a gift. And he gave us that gift all because he loves us. What in the world are we supposed to do when someone loves us so much? Shouldn't we love him right back? The puzzling part to us, though, can be to know just how to do that. And that's where John Bunyan's life can be an example to us. He studied God's word carefully, and he communicated with him in prayer so that he could get to know this person who had given him new life. If God can blow powerfully in the life of a man like John Bunyan, he can certainly do the same thing in each one of our lives. We can help each other in our journeys, We can encourage each other to read the Bible, not as a duty, but as the very best way to spend our entire lifetimes of getting to know this God who loves us so very much. And when we gather at both the font and the table, let's celebrate by encouraging one another in expanding our lifelong understanding of the great love of our God. During this season of Lent, Many people give up something for Lent. But perhaps we also could take on something new for Lent. Let's commit to allowing ourselves to be blown about by the Spirit of God. Let's stay in his breezes that begins by the cleansing and renewal of new birth in our hearts and continues throughout our life to blow us to God's wonderful gift of eternal life through his Son and our Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the blowing of your spirit in our lives. It has been in place since time began and beyond because, oh God, you are eternal. You have always been blowing about. You've been blowing about in the lives and hearts of each one of us in this room. And we pray, oh God, that you would enable us to day by day become more and more aware of how you blow your breath of eternal life in our lives. Instill within us a desire to know you more and more and more as each day and month and year goes by. Thank you for your love and, it, and for the way in which it encourages us to respond with lives of love back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.